Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. But we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. And here we are together again. Indeed. Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Pod. How you doing, Kate? Well, it just feels different recording this podcast as a 40-year-old. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I feel wiser. Mm-hmm. My pants feel flowier. I mean, I got to say, you seem more at peace with yourself. I'm real calm. Mm-hmm. Everything's changed. Go on. No, truly nothing has changed. I'm still very anxious and very nervous all the time. <laughs> but you do have flowy pants. But my pants are flowing. Yeah, I have they to are. say, maybe, you know what, if that's all I get out of turning 40, great. I mean, welcome. Thank you. It feels so great to be here finally. You know, I've been standing outside the door of 40 for a while you have, now. You've been kind of peering in. Knocking, yep. seeing who's inside. Yep, yep. And we were like, okay, okay, we'll be there soon. <laughs> we're going to answer that door. But you got to wait. You are all just taking your time. 
We sure were relaxing in our, in our elastic waist pants. Elastic waist pants, reading your comfortable mystery books. Watching the movie Book Club. <laughs> so far being 40. And Grace and Frankie. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yep. Uh, Those are aspirational, you understand? I do. Yes. I do. Uh, no, I did celebrate my 40th birthday. Feels great to be 40. Kept it pretty low key. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big uh, birthday celebration person. So yeah. it's just how I liked it. I canceled the Burning Man-esque celebration that <laughs> I was going to throw for you. We were all going to do uh, LSD and just dance the night away and Yep, and ride around on outfits. unicycles. <laughs> that sounds so us. Truly, it does. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt happy celebrating my birthday. It felt nice. Good. Yeah. But I, I again, I like, I like, a, I like a birthday. Another year around yeah. the sun, if you will. Yeah, I do think also, for me at least, after turning forty, it was I felt less anxiety about getting older and more gratitude for getting older. I, I actually have been feeling that a lot. I think I met, I might have mentioned this on the last episode that yeah. I've been thinking about my friend who passed away at thirty-seven, and just like truly not taking any any part of our existence for granted. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like throughout my 30s, I was like, oh my God, I'm 33. Oh my God, I'm 34. Oh God, I'm 35. Yeah, I did a lot of that too. You know? Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm alive. Yes, truly. Yeah. And like, what can we do to make things slightly better for everybody while we're here? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about that. Okay, well. We're making this podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is my contribution. <laughs> Dory, I did do a face mask in the car. Uh-huh. I don't think I would do that again. Did I just, you get any looks at stoplights? Well, it was dark. Okay. It was nighttime and I had, this is a very specific experience, but I had like showered. Uh-huh. And I, you know, my face was clean. I didn't mm-hmm. put any product on. I brought face wipes with me in the car. Okay. I got in the car. I wiped my face down. Mm-hmm. I applied the mask. Because I was like, I have 25 minutes to drive home. Why don't I use this time you for masking? What, Kate, I love the way you think. Well, I don't think it's the best use of a drive. Why not? Well, then I was like, what if I got in a car accident or got or got pulled over or like, you know. It I'm, would be like, this woman really knows how to take care of herself. Slash. <laughs> slash you gets just caused a car accident. <laughs> um, I didn't apply the mask while driving. I did Good. it while I was like parked before I left my lo- my locale. Um, but I just was like, you know what? Why not? We talk about masking on planes all the time. We do. And I have done things like you've been talking about pumping. I have. I yep. used to pump with my breast pump, my pump breast milk while driving all the time. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to – it's late at night. This it is- was like a cream or clay mask? It was. Or a sheet mask? It was a, a mask that you apply with your fingers. Okay. And then it dries and then you peel it off. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, you know, I, I went for it. And how did you feel when you got home? <laughs> I walked in the door. My husband was like, oh, wow. <laughs> he was definitely like, oh, Oh, okay. Were you like, this is 40? <laughs> and it was literally like three days after I turned 40. And I was like, here I am. <laughs> I, I mean, he's also used to my antics by now, I would say. Sure. But um, that was a new one. So it takes a lot to phase him. And you phased him. I did. I did. I'm really, I'm really kind of heightening my um, the thing, weird things that I do to get a rise out of him. We've been together for almost 20 years. So, oh, wow. you know, I got to just spice it up a little bit. Sure. Keep him on his toes. <laughs> My kids were asleep, luckily, because I was worried I might have freaked them out because my face was like a bluish green. Mm. It was green. Um, 
but yeah, that was an adventure. I don't think I would do it again, but just okay. so you know, I did. I was just like, I'm going to experiment. This is an interesting use of my time. So I, I did it. Have I you love... ever masked while driving? No, I haven't. I have to admit, and this might be heretical to say on this podcast, but I'm going to say it. I'm not a big masker. Wow. Um <laughs> It's weird when you think you know someone and then the rug is pulled out from underneath or your Birkenstock clad feet. The mask is the mask ripped is off ripped your off. face. <laughs> yeah. I don't love a mask. I finally realized this and I felt like I had been I had been trying to be someone that I'm not. I, I, by I buying into this whole mask thing. Well, look, when I actually don't love them and actually think a sheet mask does that much oh my god i'm just gonna say it oh my god what is happening right now (laughs) should we just stop the podcast i don't know how we continue are you about to tell me that you don't believe in serums either no i love serums well thank god yeah uh no you know what i don't give a shit one (laughs) it saves you money Two, you're not buying into yet another part of the beauty industrial complex, so good on you. Yeah, and, you know, sheet masks aren't the best for the environment. I mean, maybe they're I, – I, that fucking ceramide Dr. Jart situation that I did a few weeks ago it was, like, revolutionary mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now. But I applaud you if you do not. To each their own. Nobody even has to wash their face for all we care. Look, I, I, I would not say that a mask I've worn has been detrimental but nor have I been like, holy shit, my skin is changed. And look, all of the mask stands are going to come for me and say that it's unrealistic of me to expect that my skin is going to change for through one 15-minute sheet mask. Have you been planning this speech for a no, while? No, this literally just <laughs> came to me. I'm speaking extemporaneously. Wow, you are speaking I'm your speaking truth. off the cuff here and speaking my truth, my mask truth. <laughs> I mean, I support, again, I support you. I do. Thank you. I do not think anybody needs to buy into both like using money or in the proverbial sense. I'll tell you why else I don't like a mask. Get on it. So there was a period when I was trying to like get into sheet masks because that's what everyone was doing. And we have a podcast about self-care, which has somehow become somewhat synonymous with sheet masking. So I was like, guess I got to get into sheet masking. And I would like put on the sheet mask and then I would get into bed, but then I would have to like get up or leave the sheet mask next to my bed overnight, which was kind of gross. Like a crinkly sheet mask pile. Yeah. And then it just like, it didn't work with my lifestyle. It sounds like you if know yourself. You know who you are. I want to do my nighttime routine and get into bed and be done. You don't okay? want to put a mask on your face. I don't want to put a mask on my face. I applaud you. Thank you. This does not end what we have created here. Oh, thank you. If anything, maybe it starts a new phase of Whoa. this podcast in which you actively reject sheet masks and yes. all masks. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to entertain the idea of a of a cream or a clay mask or an overnight mask. I've done. I like an overnight mask because again, I can just put it on and get into bed. I'm all about just getting into bed and staying <laughs> in your bed. priorities. Those are good priorities. Um, but yeah. So anyway, no, this was not planned. I didn't even. I, I you know I. 
didn't know I was going to go there. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you feel like this is a safe space where you can admit your no, thank you. deepest truth. Okay. Which is that you are anti-mask. Just for myself. Great. I'm not going to say no one else can do a mask. I think this is great. that you, I bet you are going to find your people who are also not into masks, oh. who might be listening right now. Please. Lead the revolution, Dory. Reach out to me. I mean, it does bring up an interesting point, which is, you know, there was the whole swing toward the, like, 10-step skincare routine. Yep. And now it's like, that's bullshit. One-step skincare routine. Yep. And truly what it, I think is it's just you find your own thing mm -hmm. and what makes you feel good and works within your budget. And it sounds like you are doing that. Thank you. I support you. Thank you, Kate. I appreciate that. Wow. I know. Where do we even go from here? Well, let's talk about how you slipped on your kitchen floor. Oh, my God. That sounded painful. <sighs> you know, I was pumping. While this happened? Yes. Oh, geez. Louise. So I have a new pump that goes in my bra. Um, and it, it's like fully self-contained in my bra. There's no tubes. There's no wires. It's called the LV. Um, I bought it secondhand, which I don't know if is like really allowed, but. I'm saying it. Pump, I did the it. The pump patrol is going to come get you. The pump patrol could come for me. Um, but they're very expensive and not, usually not covered by insurance. And that was why I hadn't gotten one initially. And then I was really at the end of my rope with pumping. I had a Spectra. And no disrespect to the Spectra, but it just, it, it, was, it, was, it was demoralizing. I would characterize it as demoralizing. Not to mention that every time, there's a period every time, when Henry nursed, he was screaming on my boob. Again, quite demoralizing. <laughs> um, and I was like, that's it. I'm I'm going to wean. I'm done. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll just give this LV thing one last, this will be my last ditch effort. And Kate, I love this thing. And you wear it all the time. I wear it all the time. I'm not wearing it right now. Shame. But I could be. I pumped while we recorded Excellent Adventure last night. I mean, you and I were on a call and you were pumping. Yep. Sure was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I had it in. I was barefoot. I was in my bedroom and I saw my slippers and I was like, should I put my slippers on? I was like, nah, no, I'm not going to put my slippers on. And then, of course, two minutes later, I walk in the kitchen. Bo, Bo's water bowl is there. And, you know, he's a big slobbery, sloppy dog. And when he drinks water, it goes everywhere. I know. And... I slipped on Bo's water. And fell on your butt? And fell kind of, I kind of like, I mean, I have a huge oh bruise my in my arm. Oh my gosh, wow, oh yeah. I kind of like fell sideways and I think I hit my arm like on the corner of a cabinet. Oh. And then I also have a bruise on my knee and then I have like a cut on my wrist. I You I, wiped out. I wiped out. The LVs kept going. <laughs> <laughs> they were like nee, nee, nee. they don't even make that much noise um the left one leaked a tiny bit but honestly not as much as you would think so really what i'm hearing is that while it's awful that you fell and that hurts truly you have found a breast pump that can do it all yes in fact i was going into the kitchen to empty the pump i was at the end of my pumping session so in addition to falling i, I was like no i can't lose all this milk right 
And I only lost a little bit. Um, oh but then I was like, oh my God, what if I'd been holding Henry? Yeah, that's scary. So my mind started racing. Um, he would, if that happened, he would be okay. He would be okay, but it, it would have been not great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was, that was not fun. And now I'm not going to be barefoot in my kitchen anymore. So, yeah. So that happened. That's scary. It was scary. Um, but in other news, I started working out with a trainer. Wow. Yeah. You are, are digging in for some physical strength. I am. I just, you know, I've just been feeling like this post-C-section recovery, which, you know, you you know about. I did it. Um, is is tough. And I, you know, I feel so much better than I did, but I don't really feel like myself. And it's been hard to kind of get back into the swing of things in terms of physical activity. And so I was like, you know what? Let me work out with a trainer and just get back into it. And have you had a session? I had a session a few days ago. And how was it? It was great. I really like this trainer. She has like a certification in pre and postnatal working out, whatever that's called. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, So, you know, she's had a lot of clients before who have been pregnant or formerly pregnant. And the workout was like challenging, but I didn't feel like she was like killing me. You know what I mean? I do. Um, so I'm excited to to keep working out with her. Look at you, Dory. Yeah. One step at a time. One step at a time. We actually used a little step for an exercise. That, I mean, look. It so literally. It could be more timely. Literally. Yep. Well, should we switch gears now for our interview? Let's get into it because we are going to be talking money. Oh. Which is, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, a challenge for both of us. Yeah. And you could even call it like the ultimate form of self-care to like figure out your money shit. Get your money together. Yeah. Yeah. So here's Tanya. Our guest today is Tanya Rapley. Welcome, Tanya. Hi. Hi. We're so excited to have you. I'm just going to read your bio quickly. In 2007, Tanya Rapley was fighting for her life in a relationship that was physically, emotionally, and financially abusive. Today, she's an internationally recognized millennial money expert, mompreneur, and founder of the award-winning site, MyFab Finance. She is the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Money Manual, a practical guide to help you succeed on your financial journey and co-host of the Colorful Lives podcast with Angela Yee, uh, also from The Breakfast Club, and Amina Tussaud from Call Your Girlfriend. And she has a wonderful Instagram also. Yes. Uh, Very helpful Instagram. Thank you. Um, So we're so excited to have you. We asked our listeners for some questions and we got many. Yes. Which, you know, we talk about self-care a ton on Forever 35. And kind of what this always reminds me of is that financial self-care is kind of the core of everything. Yeah. Um, Like you can, you know, moisturize your face into oblivion and that feels great. But if your finances are a mess, it's extremely unsettling. Yeah. And it's going to create some other wrinkles that moisturizer can't come back (laughs) because you're so stressed out. That is true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Tanya, I would love if you could tell our audience just how you, what your financial life was like Mm -hmm. before starting Fab Finance, my Fab Finance, excuse me, and then how you 
began to transform it yourself and how that led to then an actual business and career? Yeah. I mean, you know, at this point, I've been doing my Fab Finance since 2009. I created it in 2009. And um, when I look at, the more I understand money and our financial history and what leads to our money beliefs, the more I realized that it didn't start when I got my first job. It started when I was a child and what I was witnessing and being told by my parents as it relates to money. So, you know, growing up, I grew up in a middle class home, I guess as middle class as middle class could be. Um, My parents were both in the military. And so I had a very stable upbringing. But I saw early on um, what happens when you don't save And one of the things that I continuously battle with, even as a financial educator, is not buying because I can. Because I grew Mm. up in a household where my parents were like, okay, healthcare is paid for. You know, the military gives us a stipend towards our housing. We can buy these luxury cars and live how we want to live. And that led to me not having money to go to college. Me nor my sister. We were expected to get scholarships. And my parents, neither one of them went to college until me and my sister went to college. And they did the best of what they could. But they didn't save for our education yet. We always mm. had luxury cars parked in our driveway. And so that has forced me to reconcile with what I learned about money growing up. And I learned I was a spender. I was definitely a spender. When I went to college, I was a spender. It was maybe you don't have it figured out, but look like you're supposed to be here and look like you have it figured out. Mm. And so um, that followed me, you know, even after my abusive relationship and I graduated from college, my first job was a call center rep at a at a telecommunications company. And I was maybe making like 14 to $16 an hour there, but was still, you know, going out regularly taking trips with my friends, living at my parents' house, wasn't saving money. They got this brilliant idea to move to New York City Ooh. with $500 in savings. We've both lived there, so we know what yeah. this idea means. Yeah. So like got in my, my Saturn Ion, drive to, drove to New York um, with $500 in my savings account. I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. And I I was on an, un, I was on unemployment at that time because the company I worked for had went bankrupt. So I was, uh-huh. had unemployment income coming in, but... Um, I realized around um, my first real job after moving to New York that, and I was working with low-income women at that time, and I was working with low-income women who were in their 60s, 70s. Um, The facility was an affordable housing facility, and some of the women, this was the last place they were going to live. And life comes at you fast. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember just one woman saying, yeah, I used to be a lawyer. And I'm like, wow, she lives in an SRO with, you know, sharing a bathroom with 30 other older women. And she used to be a lawyer and make good money in her prime. I was like, Tanya, you got to figure it out because that's not what you want for yourself. And so my fat finance started with my journey to improving my own financial situation. And then from there, my friends were like, nobody talks about money the way you talk about money. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, let's make a blog. And then um, I made this blog and went to a conference and... It was a financial blogger conference, and one of the women was sitting on the panel, and they asked her how much she had made that year. And she said, well, I can just tell you that last month I made thirty-five, no, $25,000 in a month. I was like, what? What? <laughs> what? Blogging? Like, I'm making $25,000 in a year at my nonprofit job right now. And that's when I was like, okay, we're going to figure out how to blog and make money at this thing. 
And that was really the impetus for figuring out how to turn MyFab Finance into a responsible business where I was responsible to the people that I was helping and ethical and operating in a way that upholds their interests first, but also allows me to live well. And that's where we are today. And you did it. Yeah. 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 So what were, the, what were some of the first steps you took in your own relationship to money to change how you had grown uh, how you had grown up viewing it how you were handling it or not handling it and and how did you also you know you mentioned did you end up getting scholarships for college so i ended up yeah i ended up getting a scholarship for college and then i decided because that's just the child i was i was like i i don't want to go here anymore i want to go to school in miami florida so I had gotten a scholarship to school in North Carolina, full, um, all expenses paid, and I was like, I want to go to North to Miami. So gave up the scholarship, went to Miami, and took on student loan debt for the last two years of my degree. Oh wow! Um, and then I did go to graduate school, so got graduate school debt as well, um, and still paying that off. That's that's where we are. We're, I'm still paying that off. But as far as um, your your first question, what was your first question? What was the, what were the first steps you when you had this kind of realization about your relationship to mm-hmm. money? What was what were some of the first steps you took to? I don't want to use the word improve it. I mean, yeah. it's like the language that we use to, to talk money about money better. Yeah, to yeah. do it better. To, to do to do better um, by my money uh, and by myself actually by doing better with our money, we're improving. Um, our quality of life because it's just one less thing we have to stress over. And so the first thing I did was really reflect on why I was spending money. Um, and some of it was literally to fit in or felt like mm-hmm. I belonged. And one thing I had to realize, my friends did not care about that. My friends really did not care. Most of the times we want to impress people that could care less or just impressed or just enjoy being in our company. Um, and so I really, in, it's ongoing. It really is ongoing up and you know, tomorrow I have an event for um, one of my other companies and I was like, oh, I don't have anything to wear. It's like, no, Tanya, you have a lot of things to wear. And I really had to just sit there and like, you could wear this, you could wear this, you like really shop my closet and say, just pair this together differently. You don't have to get anything for this event. You can wear what you want to wear and you can wear anything. Um, so it was really, um, thinking about why I was spending money um, instead of just automatically spending money because it had become so automatic for me. And then the other portion was bringing in more money. Mm-hmm. I was working at a nonprofit job and I had told myself, oh, I don't have time. I had all the time, especially now being a mom. I'm like, girl, you had so much time on your hand. <laughs> and so it was finding other ways to bring in additional income. And so that was when photo booths were at their all time high. And I um, worked for a photo booth company and just, on my, you know, I would leave work and go work at a photo, uh, you know, work an event on the weekends, work an event to bring in additional income so I could start building my savings and pay off these collection items that had been mounting up. And so it was finding ways to get additional money to pay off my debt um, and then advocating for a raise from that job. Always. I I feel like I was asking for a raise about every six months. And um, they gave it to me. But I had to show and prove, of course. But, you know, getting demanding more money from the job that I was working at and finding ways to bring in money outside of it so that I could use that and apply that to getting ahead of my finances. Was there anywhere that you were getting kind of knowledge or inspiration from when you were going on this financial journey? Yeah. I mean, books. Um, I went to the library when I first decided I was going to start. I went to the library, checked out three finance books. One was Girl, Get Your Money Right. Um, and I, Young, Broken, Fabulous by Susie Orman was another book that I read. And it, they, those were, those were helpful. 
they were helpful. But um, I found that the most support or the most um, help came from like going in the forums. And so mm. um, the My FICO forum, I was working on my credit. So I would go into the My FICO credit forums to see what people were doing to improve their credit score, understanding how I could kind of use the credit game to work in my favor. And then um, joining communities of like-minded people. So as a financial blogger, there were these other financial bloggers who were on the journey to becoming debt-free. Um, my partner, we haven't done events almost in two years now, but um, Melanie of Dear Debt wanted to pay off all of her debt and paid off. I want to say Melanie paid off like $120,000 worth of debt in like two or three years. Wow. Wow. And, um, you know, we were on a journey together. So, you know, joining forces with people like that who were really working on it at the same time so that I'd have a sounding board or get solutions or just kind of to talk about, like, man, I really wish I could go to brunch today. But <laughs> and it's not in the budget. and I'm not going to go into debt yeah. for it. I'm not going to put that on my credit card. What do you see, you know, you are a millennial money expert. And mm-hmm. I, I'm curious what you see specific to the way millennials deal with their money and also what kind of challenges they have or or I guess kind of we I'm on the cusp of millennial I'm not a millennial you're not a millennial (laughs) (laughs) like it's clear to me yeah Yeah. I'm 40 I don't know if I really count but we do have a lot of millennial listeners so I'm curious what you see their the challenges there are and and maybe also how they're doing things differently than previous generations yeah um, millennials I mean I think we have some issues that are unique to us but I think that our issues are I think that like millennial culture is so pervasive it touches, you know, age groups outside of the to the I guess the bordered millennial group. So one thing would definitely be social media. I think that social media is a big um now people are competing with individuals they never even met before, you know, mm-hmm. growing up, before we had social media, it was like those in your community. Now it's not even people in your community. It's someone across the globe or someone, you know, across the country. And you're like, oh, they live their life so fabulously. I want to, you know, I and we don't even know that we are, um, maybe we know, maybe we are intentionally um, modeling um, our lives after other people, or maybe it's unintentionally. And we say, oh, she had this handbag, so-and-so and so. Um, and so I think that social media really does encourage people to spend more. I was thinking about um, vacations, you know, and yeah. before, like my little sister, I she's awesome because my little sister does not do Instagram like that. Like she has a, I call it a stalker account <laughs> where she checks in on her boyfriend um, and looks at my posts and she's like, oh, I saw you. I'm like, who are you? Who are you on Instagram? But she doesn't post regularly. And my sister takes vacations for her. She doesn't take vacations to post her pictures or her vacation pictures or shut it down on Instagram. She does it genuinely for her. And I, But I think a lot of people now do things for Instagram and social media. Um, and that in turn causes them to spend money that they don't have. And then also student loans. I, student loans aren't unique to our generation, but our generation was taking out student loans when the economy was just like done with us and yeah. decided to bottom yeah. out. And so a lot of people, you know, prior to our generation, you could come out of college and get a decent job and, you know, outpace those who didn't go to college and just had a college, uh, high school diploma. But now they're there's not much difference oftentimes between those who have gone to college and got college degrees and have on, only a high school diploma, yet we ha- they have the student loan debt. So I think that that also has affected the millennial generation because we were the last ones who kind of bought into the college dream like, wholeheartedly um, and then 
got out and like, wait a minute, this doesn't mean I'm going to make more money. Like, I, what I do this for? Yeah. But yeah. you can't get a refund on college. And you graduated in 2008, right? When? 2007. 2007. Right which, before. Yes. And then yes. the literal shit hit the fan. L- like, yeah. I got laid off from my first two jobs out of college. Mm. Like, that's, I was, I was on unemployment like so much. And it was so bad that you could just file an extension and they'd be like, oh, we know it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Here. I got laid off extension. in 2009. And I remember you could stay on Cobra for like, a year or longer, and the government was paying for it. Yeah, but and Cobra was oh my god, Cobra is terrible though. Cobra is like, terrible. Cobra is like very expensive. Like yeah. say what? Yeah, like, I'll just chance it. Yeah. Um. Well, I think we're gonna take a short break, and then when we come back, we're gonna get to some questions from our listeners. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes, Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. 
It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Super Power Short. The Super Power Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get into okay, it. Do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no. I was just gonna say, like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh god, like get this off of me. <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, 
Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Okay. Well, we're here. Let's get into it. Should we start with money and relationships? Yes. Okay. Let's do that. Because you are in a partnership. Yeah. And you have a child. Yes. Who is very cute because speaking of Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. Often <laughs> perusing your account. Um, and we got many, many questions about how money plays out in relationships mm. with partners. Um, so here's a good question. How do how does one merge expenses after getting married? Do you have any tips for best practices on handling that with a spouse and also just communicating about money with a spouse? You know, this is really good. I, I like talking about relationships and money because, you know, being a survivor of a financially abusive relationship, my radar like goes off and like don't don't become a victim. Um but also in the same sense, you want to be fair. And so I would say, you know, when it comes to managing money in your relationship, it really does depend on what you guys want to do, what you want to do, what worked for you. I always say don't wait until you're married to have the conversation Mm -hmm. about money. Like that money conversation should be had when you decide that this is someone you want to spend an extended amount of time with. And I think our generation, like more people are cohabitating before marriage. And if you're cohabitating, you should be splitting some of the finances in the household and so forth. I don't think it's wise for someone else to... Um, conduct themselves as a married couple without a clear understanding of where we're going with this. Because what I wouldn't want is for one person to say, okay, you know, we love each other. I'm going to pay all the bills. But then this person's not able to save or anything else. Then the person who wasn't paying bills is in an excellent financial situation and decides the relationship doesn't work for them anymore. And so now the person who is paying all the bills is, you know out in the cold while this other person took advantage of those mm-hmm. those that opportunity to build their own financial security. So you definitely have to be mindful of that, but you also have to figure out what works for you. And communication, I'm happy you're asking about communication because me and my husband actually, we just, like last week was, you know, being transparent, last week was kind of like a tougher week for us when it came to communication about money because now we have a baby and mm-hmm. children screw your finances up. Like, I love him. I plan for him. We financially prepared for him. But still nothing like having him here. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's expensive as hell. And um, we have to reorganize our finances as a result. Because as a mother, I find myself spending more money on him. And, like, you know, making sure he has what he needs since he's with me most of the time. And I had to talk to my husband like, hey, we got to talk about the redistribution of our finances mm. and what our expectations are because now I'm working two full-time jobs. I have my business and I'm his mother. And you're a father, you're great. You're you're present. You wait, you know, you're present, but you're not me. Like you're not doing the work that I'm doing and my business is being affected as a result. And I have to turn down opportunities. And really approaching it like that and letting him know this is how things have changed. And so I'd like to reconsider the way that we are addressing our bills as a couple because my life is different now because of, you know, this decision we made to have a child. So, yeah, having conversations, understanding what kind of partner you're with, 
tone, I would say tone, tact, and timing. So understanding your tone. A lot of times we communicate about money out of frustration, and that doesn't necessarily set the best tone for to have a conversation because now we're both emotional outside mm-hmm. of, you know, being frustrated. Um, tact, you know, like really just be mindful. Money is sensitive for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. exercising tact and timing. Every time isn't the right time to have a conversation. My husband picks the worst times to talk about money. <laughs> Like, the worst times. I, I'll just be like, right now? Right here? Like, what? In the line at Sprouts? No. We're not going <laughs> to talk about our money here. Like, no. <laughs> and he's so bad about it. But, you know, timing is really important because if he asks me out in public, I'm going to shut down. And I'm not having a conversation about it. Like, wait till we get home. Right. And we're going to have a conversation then. And understanding, like, you're that you're both coming from different place, different families who had different relationships with money and you probably saw different things and, or mm-hmm. possibly, we don't know. Some people have the no. similar backgrounds, but... Even if you have similar backgrounds, you know, there are still just so many nuances to individual households. Yeah. We can grow up on the same block, go to the same school, parents have the same income and our money situation, our household is going to be different because our parents had different parenting than the next person's parents and... You know, in our situation, my husband is from a single-parent household, and I came from a two-parent household. So he never saw anybody split finances. It was his mom just handled everything. So, yeah, it, it, and it's understanding that you have your background, your partner has their background, being mm-hmm. mindful of that, being respectful of that, even if you ha- feel like you had a better upbringing, because it's really easy to kind of be like, well, we didn't do that, you know, and make them feel bad about the way that they were raised. But we're all just figuring it out. And even when you get into a relationship, there are so many things for you to learn from your partner. And you don't know everything, even if you know a lot. I love this question. This is a little bit different from relationships. Well, it's kind of about relationships. Should we be telling our friends how much money we make for transparency? Yep. Talk about it. I think we should talk about it. I think we should talk about how much we make with our friends. If they're your real friends, I mean... I'm transparent as hell, so I talk about how much I make on Twitter. But um, if they're your real friends, they're not going to use it against you. And um, hopefully it will start a conversation um, about are you really asking what you're worth and demanding what you're worth? You know, mm-hmm. I, I had a friend do that when I started my Fab Finance, and we all talked about how much we were making. And she realized she was making more than all of us. She was like, what are y'all doing? And not in a way that was belittling to us, but like, you guys are so awesome. Why are you letting them pay you this? Like, wh-? And then she started having conversations with us about what she does to assert her worth at her job and everything else and get what she's worth. And it was really helpful for all of us. And so I think, yes, you should be talking about how much you're making because hopefully that opens up the door for there's not one of you guys who's a leader and making more. Mm. It opens up the opportunity for you to hold accountable to make more. And if you do have someone who is just killing it, they can help you, you know, advocate for yourself in your career. So yes, 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 yes. You should talk about it. Me and my sister talk about how much we make with each other. I talk about it with, you know, people in my industry. It's extremely important with the work that I do. I do influencer work and so forth. And you should talk about how much you're making on these deals because someone might be leaving money on the table and that might affect you one day because they might work with them, you know, tomorrow, today and then the company approaches you next month or in a couple months down the line and now they've set this low bar and so yeah. when you give them your actual rate, they're like, oh, we worked with one of your colleagues and it was significantly less, you know? Right. So you could be affecting others and you could be um, cheating yourself out of money. So yes, talk about it. Let's talk about it. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about debt. Yes. Um, so one of the questions we got I thought was really interesting, which is how do you pay down debt when you already live frugally or paycheck to paycheck? 
So that is an interesting question in the way that it's phrased, because just because you're living paycheck to paycheck doesn't mean you're living frugally. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important to be honest with ourselves about that. Am I living frugal, frugally if I'm living paycheck to paycheck? Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're frugal, that means that you're frugal doesn't mean that you're being cheap necessarily. Frugal also means that you're mindful of how you're spending your money. You don't buy unnecessary things and you're not living above your means. And if you are living below your means, then you're not living paycheck to paycheck. Mm, that's such a good distinction. So, yeah. So, um, and there, like, and there's no shame in it. Like, I yeah. definitely always, I'm like, let's take the shame out of finance. It's like, oftentimes I'm like telling you, okay, you need to pull yourself back. You're spending more than you make right now. Um, and so, like, and I have to have reality checks with myself. And so I think it's important for other people to realize, like, it's not anything to be ashamed of, but it is something to be cognizant of. And if you find that, then you do have to find other ways to bring in more money. That's just point blank. Whether you're asking for a raise or you're, you know, finding a side hustle or you're, you know, selling things or whatever it may be, you have to figure out a way to bring in more money because there are two ways, you know, to get out of debt. And it is to bring make more money to pay off your debt or find more money in your existing budget mm. to pay off your debt. Like other than that, debt just doesn't pay itself off. It's unfortunate that it doesn't. <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> I wish. Um, but it's not designed like that. So, yeah. But I think that that's really important to understand just because yeah. you're living frugal, just because you feel like you're stretched financially doesn't mean that you're being frugal. And so what things can we cut off? And what ways can we bring in more money after we cut things yeah. off so we have a surplus? Are there like universal things that you recommend that people examine and cut, like first cut out of their spending in order to reduce their yeah yeah um socializing eating out a lot of times you know eating out for convenience and you know even i have this thing just because i can doesn't mean i should like that's one of my mantras Mm -hmm. and sometimes i'll be like i mean tanya you could eat out every day this week but should you eat out every day this week and you have food in your refrigerator and you you know if you go in there and cook it You'll probably enjoy what you cook, you know, or you'll just, it'll, it'll be edible. You'll eat and you won't be <laughs> right. hungry. You'll be sustained. It, it won't yeah. exactly be exactly what you want. It's not a sushi roll, but you ate. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there are ways is like cutting costs when dining out, um, challenging yourself to empty out your pantry or figure out how to cook some, figure out how to make a meal based on what you already have in your refrigerator. Like it's very rare that people are hungry, especially our generation. You have nothing in your refrigerator. Like you look in there and it's just like echoes or it's just like condiments. Usually you have something in your pantry that you can make. So, yes, cutting out and dining out. Um, beauty services. When I first started my fat Finance, one of the things I did, I loved getting my nails done. I loved getting nail art and everything else. But I stopped getting my nails done professionally for two years. And wow. I did my own nails and manicures for two years while I was getting myself back on track financially. And so that was something that I ended up cutting out. And, you know, a nail visit was like $70, you know, pedicure, manicure, getting like designs and everything. $70 over the course of a month, $140 a month. That adds up over the course of a year. That's over $1,000 in a year. So that really adds up. And we don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. But it does. Um, yeah. So definitely. And it's just the small things. And I'm at this point where um, me and my husband are starting to save money to buy a property. Um, and I, I want his mother, he did, he, my husband did receive an inheritance from his mother. But like, I have this thing where I'm like, no, I don't want to use the inheritance money. Like I want to use like money that we put together. Um, and I, it's required me to be more frugal. And so just today I was like, 
I really would like to get an eyebrow pencil from Sephora. I like to get an Anastasia eyebrow pencil. And then I looked, I was like, Tanya, you have this eyebrow pencil that is not even near done that you can continue, you can finish using this. Or like hair product. I was like, you know, I should stop by Target, Target and get this hair product that has like a pump. Um, because I, I just want that. I want to try it out. And I was like, but you have four different curl creams in here right now. Don't go to Target, sis. And so it's just like certain things like that, preventing mm-hmm. and like really talking to ourselves and talking ourselves off the ledge. The consumer culture is really, and I think you make a really interesting point with social media is it just makes it, it's in your face constantly what you oh, have and don't have and what other people yeah. have and that awful longing feeling of wanting all the things. In your timeline, in your inbox. Well, it makes me think of your parents and their luxury cars. Like, they would have put their luxury cars on Instagram. Oh, yeah. You know? You know it's so funny. Well, my mom is not a social media person, but my dad is. And my dad has a Harley Davidson motorcycle. And you best believe his Harley is his. It was his cover photo before my son was born. Now oh, my wow. son is his. Good. Okay. <laughs> but it was like him on his Harley, like parked in front of, they live in North Carolina, so parked in front of the Carolina Panthers stadium. Like he hired a photographer to come take a picture of him on his bike. So, Yeah. Yeah, they definitely would have been that. He sounds fun, though. Yeah, he's, he does. My dad is awesome. <laughs> Everybody loves him. He's an awesome guy. What What are some tips you have for paying off credit card debt? If Because I know when I was in deep credit card debt, it felt so overwhelming mm-hmm. that instead of dealing with it, I just kind of let it build, which is not no responsible. Because it's not going to go away. No. It, if anything, it comes back to bite you because I did that um, right after college. And then I got my job and then like – they started garnishing my wages. Like, they were like, okay. Mm. And that was embarrassing as hell. It was just like, they were like, Tanya, can we speak to you? Um, We got a court order to garnish your wages. And sorry, it's going to happen. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. They know I'm, I'm like, so terrible at money. Um, So it's going to happen. Um, and, I, and I think with, with credit cards, it is, like, really taking a snapshot of what you owe. A lot of times what I found is that you, it feels overwhelming because you haven't really sat down and wrote everything down. Like you're just like getting statements, you're getting all this stuff, and you're like, I just owe so much money. Instead of sitting down and saying, okay, what exactly do I owe? What is my monthly payment? What would it take for me to pay this off? And really sitting down and writing that down, and it becomes more manageable because you can create a plan. You can say, okay, this payment is $50 a month. I actually have that to make at least $50 a month. This payment is $125 a month. What can I cut out in my life so that I can make this $125 a month payment? This one is so-and-so-and-so. Like this one, well, I'm not going to be able to deal with that one right now. Or maybe, you know, I need to talk to someone else in my life to see, you know, it's important to ask people in our lives because people in our lives don't want to see us suffer either. And some of us don't have people to ask, but maybe you have, maybe you're, I know I've talked to women like their husbands don't know they're in debt and you sit down mm-hmm. and have a conversation with your husband and you're like, Hey, my credit card is overwhelming right now. And it would really help me out if you took over maybe just paying the rent or the mortgage or paying a little more of it for the next four months, just so I can pay this credit card off or just so I can pay this credit card down. Um, so just become a little more creative and be like honest with people and so forth, but really write down. Like take inventory of what you owe because sometimes you realize like I, it's not as bad as I thought, you know, and talk to other people about it. Because I've had people who come to me and they'll like pull me aside after a speaking engagement and be like, I'm just like, I'm swimming in credit card debt. So I'd be like, how much debt do you have? They're like, $3,000. Mm. I'm like, baby. 
I've seen like six of your credit card debt. You know, Ooh, let me put this ooh, in God. perspective. Like, yeah. Let me put this in perspective for you. You know, I, rem- I remember working with a single mom who had a special needs child and she had one of her credit cards. She had a $30,000 balance Ugh. on just one. And she's a single parent with a special needs child. Um, and so like I was able to put that person's like struggle in perspective. And I'm like, oh, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's figure out a plan. So talking to other people also is really helpful, but um, really, really, really take an inventory. I, I highly suggest it. A lot of people don't want to do it, but when you do it, you realize, okay, all right, so how do I create a plan for this? So speaking of plans, um, when you can finally start saving for retirement, where do you start? Oh, um, you start with your 401k. Mm-hmm. If you have a traditional um, 401k available to you, then I say start with that 401k. Um I mean, and if you don't have a 401k available to you, you can go into your bank and talk to them about just different um, contribution programs or plans they have, such as an IRA, if you want to open that up at your bank, or you can go online. Robo-advisors are really popular now because we're the millennial generation, and so a lot of fintech companies are popping up, like Stash. I love Stash. Um, Stash is one of my favorites, and so I actually can- What is Stash? Stash is, um, so it is a fintech company that is making it easier for you to invest and save towards your future or just grow your money. And so they have multiple products. I mean, when they first started, it was like almost only funds, but now they have just so many different options. And I believe they do have a retirement saving option available, and it acts like, you know, any other account would act- but you can say, okay, I want to put $25 a month towards this, or I want to put $25 a week towards this. And so if you don't have a 401k available, I definitely recommend looking into Stash or going into your banking institution if you need to talk to someone in person and asking them about setting up an IRA. You can even call. Um, like all my banking is done except for our invest, our, our real estate investment accounts. Everything else is done online. And so I can call USAA and say, hey, I want to speak to a, you know, a financial planning specialist about opening a retirement account. And they and can do that for you. For people who might not know, what is the difference between a 401k and an IRA? So a 401k is workplace. Um, so that is a um, – it, it, that's just essentially the tax code, 401k. But it is a workplace retirement program, whereas an IRA, that's something you would set up as an individual so that you, um, you open that yourself with your banking institution. And you can have both. You can actually, just because you have a 401k doesn't mean you can't have an IRA. Um, Some people do that. Some people want to have, you know, I know people who are just really gung-ho about growing their money. And so they put in their workplace 401k and then they also have an outside IRA. Um, There are maximum amounts that you can contribute to an IRA. Um, There are two types, Roth and traditional, and there are maximums that you can contribute to both. I want to say it's like 5,500. Um, is a max you can contribute. So once you max those out, you might want to look for other places to put your money. And same thing with workplace 401k. Sometimes you max that out until you open up an IRA so you can put it there. So, um, Well, we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about more money stuff. more questions yeah. in. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it, and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows 
all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is a this is a question that I don't know if anybody asked, but I'm curious if you can explain because I still don't totally understand credit score. Oh. And when we ha- when we ha- why do we get really bad credit scores? And then how can we improve it and come back from that? Because there is a sense that, or at least a sense that I felt for a while with my bad credit scores, that like I'm never going to get past this. Credit, okay. I, you know, I was kind of, I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to ask me a tax question. Oh no, God. No. Not, What's the tax code I'm in California? <laughs> but um, yeah, credit. So yes, I love credit. That When I started my journey, um, I improved my credit score 130 points in 18 months. What? And okay. it was because I learned how credit works. And at the end of the day, your credit score is, there's five factors that go into your credit score. Let me make sure I get this right because I'm not writing it down to like the top of my head. So um, it is how you use your, like your utilization so that is, you know, how much of your available credit you're using. That's the big thing that a lot of people don't understand affects your credit score. So most people think about paying my bills on time. That goes, that affects your credit score as well. But the next biggest thing is utilization, which is ensuring that you're keeping your balances below 30% of your limit. So that means if you have a credit card limit of, say, 
um, $2,000. At no time should you have more than $600, a $600 balance on that credit card. Anything over that starts to negatively affect your utilization because credit card companies or not credit card companies, they like for you to max it out right? <laughs> because they make more money. But credit bureaus like to see that you have credit available to you, but you're not using it. So you're showing some restraint. So keeping that utilization at or below 30% indicates that you're exercising restraint with the money that you have available to you. So you don't necessarily need it or rely on it. So we've covered usage, utilization, uh, well, I'm sorry, payment history, utilization, and then it's mix of credit. And so the type of credit you have available to you. So someone who has all credit cards is not going to have as high, and all credit cards in good standing won't likely have a higher score than someone who has like a mortgage or a car payment or student loans and credit cards because they like to see you have a mix of revolving and installment debt. And then next is um, inquiries. So how frequently you are um, applying for new credit, because when you're applying for new credit for them, that signals that you might be taking on more debt. And so that could negatively impact your credit score. Um, and then age, age of credit. So how long have you had credit? Um, you know, you know, as us, you know, in our mid thirties and beyond, you know, we've had credit since we were 18 years old. But for someone just starting out or someone just deciding I'm going to get my first credit card, their credit is a lot younger. So the older that your credit history is, the more um, positively that helps your your credit score. And so those five things are factored into your credit score. They all weigh differently. But the most two, the two most important things are paying your bills on time and keeping your balances at 30% or below because that it's in itself makes up 60 to 65% of your credit score. And credit is like a rubber band. I always say this, like, Credit, it 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 reacts to what you do to it. You know, like, yes, you can start out with great credit, demolish your credit, but you can build it back up. Once you understand how credit works, you'll always be able to improve your credit score. So even for me, you know, I'm always transparent. And so when I started my journey, improved to 130 points in 18 months, decided to quit my job, became a full-time entrepreneur, decided I don't want to use the money I have in savings to build my business. I'm just going to like, you know, I'll, I'll pay this coach on, you know, with my credit card or something and pay it off when um, when I, the services or stuff when I make more money because of my, me coaching with them. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I ended up finding myself back in credit card debt as a result of building my business. And so my credit score started to suffer. But then I was like, Tanya, you know how credit works. Like, okay, get these first, let's get these utilizations down before 30, below 30%. So then I would write down all my credit card debt and I'd say, okay, this is my target amount. Not necessarily to pay it off, but my target amount is to get down to this, which is 30% or lower. Once I got all my balances down to 30%, my credit score shot up. So now I have good credit and then I'm paying off my debt. I have good credit again. So it's like, once you understand how it works, you can always use it in your favor. Seems like patience is also a part of it. It's time. Yeah. You didn't get in it overnight. Right. Or maybe you did. Like maybe you maybe you yeah. did go to Vegas and max out all your cards <laughs> in one night. And now you're like, oh my gosh, I'm paying for this for the next five years. But I mean, it does take time. And I think uh this you you have to resist the desire to have um an instant fix. And two years sometimes sounds like a long time. But then, you know, when the thing social media, they always had those time hop reminders, like mm-hmm. like two years ago. And you're like, damn, that felt like yesterday. Yeah. Just think about that. Just think about like how quick two years can pass. And when we're thinking about giving up things we want, it seems like it will be a long time. Um, but in in it's really not. It really is. Like, That's a great point. It's like less than 800 days. So you mentioned that you and your husband are trying to buy a property. And my husband and I are also starting to save up. 
for home. Um, here in California. <clears throat> here in California. <laughs> yeah. So a, a listener was wondering, what is a healthy percentage of my monthly income to go towards a home? You know, traditionally it was 30% of your monthly income yeah. should go to rent and housing uh, and so forth. But most of us don't live in cities where that's possible. It, yeah. it just isn't possible. Um, and so like one of the things I... I tend to encourage people to do is, you know, minimize, if you live in an expensive city, try to minimize all your other financial responsibilities so that you can afford that larger percentage or larger share. Because a lot of times what people do is like they live in these expensive cities and they're not adjusting the rest of their lifestyle to do, to address this increase mm. in housing costs. Um, maybe there are conveniences that come with living in that city, such as in New York. Conveniences are you can take public transportation instead of having a car payment, insurance, and car maintenance and so forth. Um, but still, housing is too expensive in New York. So it is the, it, it technically is 30%, depending on your metropolitan area, if it's still affordable, 30 to 35%. And then when you're thinking about your down payment, like how, what's a healthy percentage of your income to put towards your down payment – Whatever you can afford, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like do it like do as max it out, max your savings out if you can. Like put as much aside as you can. And if you know if your goal is to if you're you know if you're go- aiming to be debt free and you have a you know a mortgage payment or so forth, like pay off all your consumer debt and then use that and pay it off towards your mortgage so that you you know you can become you know you have as um, as, as minimal amount on your your loan as possible, so that you can use that money towards something else, or use that to build, or you know refinance and maybe purchase another property, um, so that you can start investing in real estate. So it yeah, as much as you can afford to, honestly. Um, and then when you look at how much to put down for a home, you know, put down what's in reason. Um, I know some people are like, well, I want to put down, you know. 30% or 40%, just make sure you have money saved for emergencies because that's going to yeah. happen when you when you buy a home. So, yes, you might be put 30% down, but if that takes out, if that basically um, re- removes all the money that you have in your savings account, then you might go into debt the next time an emergency happens because you right. don't have money in savings. So we just have to be um, honest and look at the long term um, instead of the short term when it comes to housing. Do you have a recommended amount or a way of kind of gauging what people should have in an emergency fund? Yeah. Um, look at your overhead. Um, so that's the purchase I and mean, the purpose of a budget is not necessarily just to determine what, um, what you can spend, but it's also to help you understand what you are spending and what you are financially responsible for. So when you do a budget, you know, you look at all those line items and you add up what you're financially responsible for each month, multiply, multiply that by three. And that's what you should aim to have at, at minimum in your savings account. But what I also say is, um, and that's for an emergency saving. That's not even like a house savings. That's like if I lose my job tomorrow or, you know, the bank, like, you know, people stop calling me and offering me opportunities, I can still pay my bills. So you should have that separate from whatever housing um, savings account you have for emergencies in that manner. But I would just start with a thousand, like start Try to put $1,000 away in savings and then build from there. Try the next 1000 and then the next 1000 and the next 1000 Because when we think about most emergencies, most emergencies are under 1000 Like mm-hmm. if we get a flat tire or have to go to the emergency room or, you know, most of them are under $1,000. So if you can start with that target number and then just multiply that, that's a good way to go. What are some of the best ways to make a budget and stick to it? Uh, continuously revisiting it, honestly, because most people, we sit down and we do a budget and then we're good for the first week. 
And then we just fall off the back of the truck after that. Um, and so continuously revisiting it, um, doing it every quarter. I recommend people budget every quarter. And then uh, I haven't checked this app out, but my best friend, who is like the most budget adverse person, um, uses it and she loves it. Clarity. So she really loves Ooh. this app um, and it helped it, you know, while we having conversations and it's so funny when you're a financial person and people in your life are just kind of like, you know, I realize, and it's like, I've been talking about this for years, <laughs> but she, um, she was like, yeah, I downloaded the app and I realized that I spent like $400 on food in two weeks by dining out. That's, I don't, I don't have $400 to be spending every yeah. two weeks. Like there's things I want to do. And it helped her gain clarity around her finances. Mm. Um, so I think there are some apps out there that you can try to have a look at how you're spending your money and so forth. And try try a few of them out. But to stick on a budget, I mean, some people like the envelope budgeting model um, where it's like you take out cash and you say, okay, well, um, I'm only going to spend this amount on these types of expenses and so forth. And then you can also look at play with different percentage-based models. So like 50% goes towards my responsibilities, 20% goes towards my fund, and 30% goes to, you know, like debt and savings and everything else, like other the, the other stuff that I should be doing. So play with a few different models to see what works for you. But the thing about budgeting is just being consistent. And just because you don't do well at it one week doesn't mean that you're not going to do well at it again and keep giving yourself um, trial and error or try to focus if you feel like there's a certain category that you're continuously sabotaging figure figure out what you can do to kind of control your spending in that category so um, like for me it would be clothing and shopping mm-hmm. so what I implemented for myself was like I'm not buying any clothes this summer like I'm just on a clothing fast I do use rent the runway so I have to say that mm-hmm. I do use rent the runway um, and that's like hundred and forty dollars and I have like un- access to their unlimited wardrobe. But I'm like, outside of that, I don't need to buy anything. And so for me, that's like me taking control of my spending. My clothing category is deciding I'm not going to buy any clothes. And my eating out category, like we're going to eat what we have in the house. We're going to go buy fresh groceries and so forth and like make make my make my baby's food and everything else. So focus on two categories if, if that helps you. Mm, that's a good suggestion. Yeah. Can we ask this one last question? Because it really made me laugh here. Yes. (laughs) Life insurance. Someone asked, WTF is this? (laughs) What the F is life insurance? What is life insurance? (laughs) Life insurance is basically, uh, I'm trying to figure out a way, like a non-financial way to put it. Life insurance is money that you pay towards an insurance company so that if something was to happen to you, the people you love would be okay. That's what life insurance is. Um, and if it's not the people that you love would be okay, it is the people that you love would be taken care of or they can further your legacy by using that money to start a fund or a trust in your name. Um, for me as a parent, life insurance means that if something was to happen to me um, and my husband was to lose my income that I contribute to the household, our son, Karis, would like he would get all of the benefits that I've been um, or all the things I've been working towards financially to make sure he's secure. So right now we contribute to his 529 plan. If something was to happen to me and my life insurance policy, at least he would have like $100,000 for his education or whatever he wants to do outside of that. And my husband would have money to pay towards housing and to make sure that Karis's life wasn't dramatically negatively impacted by the loss of income from me. But if you're a single individual, life insurance means that 
Maybe you, it's your opportunity to live a, leave a gift behind for your little brother or your little sister or, you know, your cousin or your godchild or your parents. And it also helps with burial. I learned that when my mother-in-law passed away last year, she did not have a life insurance policy, but she was really good at saving. But when we went to the funeral home and we made arrangements, they were like, well, does she have a life insurance policy? Because if she had a life insurance policy, the funeral company would be able to directly reach out to the insurance company. And then the insurance company would handle everything and just pay the li- pay the funeral company outright. But because she didn't have life insurance, we ended up having to go and get the money out of her savings account. And we ended up paying for And funerals are expensive. Yeah. Like her funeral costs us, um, and she was cremated. It still costs us like $11,000. Um, and this is not limos or anything. Right, this is just right. like in New York. Like, by, like it was crazy. I was like, wow. She didn't even have the bells and whistles. We rented the casket from them. Like, it was just crazy. And it cost us $11,000. Um, and so, yeah, it helps. I remember my mom, when um, I started to become more financially secure, my mom said, okay, please get a life insurance policy because I want to make sure we have enough money to bury you. And that was real. Wow. Like, it, it's it's real and you know it does help with that cost too so that's what life insurance is is it makes sure that the people are okay if you were to leave or it allows you to further your legacy and to help create generational wealth for your family how do you suggest people listeners to our of our podcast or people like us uh talk to their parents about yeah. what they have saved i mean you mentioned end of life costs funerals are expensive end of life care is incredibly expensive and i know that can that can kind of throw people for a loop. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's hard and that's tricky, you know, because even with my own parents, we kind of got into it because they had a term life insurance policy. So term means it expires after about 35 years. Um, and so it was time for them to renew their life insurance policy. And I'm talking to my mom and she's like, yeah, we got a $15,000 policy. I was like, what the hell is $15,000 going to do? <laughs> like, that's not even this house that you keep refinancing, sis. Like, that's not going to do anything for us. Um, and so, you know, we really had, to, and I just continue to talk to them about it. Like, Hey, whether you're willing to talk to me about what's going to happen when you transition or not, it's going to happen. And so we can be prepared and we can be financially empowered by your transition, or it can be a financial shit storm. And we're all trying to figure it out on top of the emotions of not having you here anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and maybe you slowly approach the conversation with them. So I think like dealing with our own mortality is hard. And as a parent, it's hard. And I, you know, from the lens of being a mom now, I'm just like, wow, I don't ever want to leave him. Like, I just mm-hmm. want to stay around forever. Karis, put me put me in like a pendant that you wear around your neck if something happens. And so I don't ever want to leave them. But in the same sense, it's like I want to, as much as I love you, I want to make sure you're okay. And um, that's like our last act of love. Yeah. And explaining to your parents, that's your last act of love, making sure that I'm financially secure if something was to happen to you. So. Mm. Well, on that note, Tanya, I mean, we could talk to you for hours, truly, literally, but it was so great to talk to you. Thank you for sharing all of this knowledge with us. And yeah. I feel enlightened. And I do. I actually like feel a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. And this is just making it all about me, but I think our listeners will. I'm only making this. it about me, too. Okay, fair. fair. <laughs> um, 
Tanya, where can our listeners find you, learn more about you? And I know you offer courses as well. I mean, you have a whole variety of offerings. So where can we track you down? Yeah. So MyFab Finance, it's uniformly branded on all social media platforms. So if you go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, put in MyFab, F-A-B, Finance, you'll find um, my platform. But also, we actually just launched our Blue Ribbon Club yesterday. So we previously had like all these financial courses available for people to take. And people would take them but there was no way for me to monitor like monitor their progress ensure that they were taking them and really getting what they wanted out of them so I really racked my brain over the past couple years on how I can ensure that people are really getting the most out of my courses so we launched the Blue Ribbon Club which is our structured accountability community and program Um, so it's $27 a month or you get it's $270 for a year but you get access to all of our courses but you get an individual roadmap or a roadmap to help you decide like And this is geared towards helping people break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. So you get a roadmap of what classes you should be taking and what you should be focusing on at this particular point of your journey to build on breaking the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. So we just released that and I'm really excited about it. You get monthly office hours with me. So I'm coaching people. Um, once cool. a month. They're group coaching, but it is like you just show up and ask your money questions much like someone would have done with these. And I can like really coach you in that session. Um, and yeah, it's available at myfabfinance.com now. If you go to the top, it says Blue Ribbon Club, just click on that. So that was really my solution to helping people have accountable, supported growth in their finances and breaking the, the cycle. Because I just felt like we were offering courses and I was like, this isn't working for me. Like, mm. I really, at the, at the heart of it, I'm a change agent and I really want people to create change. And like, my, I don't want people to give away their power because of money. And so this is my goal to help people reclaim their power, power and support them in a way that's realistic for me. So Blue Ribbon Club or MyFabFinance.com. If you need reminders, follow us on Instagram because I'm sure we'll show up in your timeline with something that you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you didn't have to talk to me like this today. And it's like, you know, it's in love. You have the best quotes. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you really uh, – well, your Instagram is great. But. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Tanya. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. So, Kate, oh, let's talk about our intentions because last week you had a very big picture intention. Which was just celebrate myself. Yep, and, and your life. And my life. That mm-hmm. is very broad. Possibly yeah. the broadest intention I've ever set for myself. I mean, I respect it. You know, I think I did that. Yeah? Yeah. I think it's also, you know, like there's – my problem with birthdays is like there's only so much of like toasting yourself that you can do, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. So it was it was nice to just like think of – I don't know, just kind of intentionally think of people I care about. It was really nice to hear from people on my birthday. Yeah. I really appreciated that this year um, and felt very honored that so many people thought of me. Oh, Yeah, it was really, really nice. So, yeah, I think I, I toasted myself. And now I'm kind of happy. I'm just ready to get on with it, you know? Yeah. Like, get into my 40s and just fucking rock out the next 10 years to, like, hopefully get to 50 and then just really own it. Yeah, girl. You know? Yeah. So that that's that's kind of where I, I landed with that one. Now, you last week mm-hmm. said you wanted to be at peace with your breastfeeding pumping journey. And wow. I am at peace with it. This week you are at peace. Because I feel like I figured it out. I figured out the thing that works for me. So now I'm able to like produce about half of a little more than half of what Henry needs 
in a day with my boobs, which feels like a good amount. Go Dory's boobs. Go boobs. Good job, boobs. Good job, boobs. Um, yeah, so I'm like producing a little bit more because I think pumping, I'm not dreading pumping as much. That fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, and he's breastfeeding better, so that feels good. Like it, it's feeling more like, oh, this is what it's kind of supposed to feel like, not like this is fucking torture. Um, and then, yeah, and then we're just getting him formula for the rest. So with our baby Brezza, my favorite invention of all time. <laughs> I'm really happy that you've come, you've gotten to this place. Thank you. I appreciate that. What's going on with you this week? I have to clean my room. <laughs> okay. Like I'm a teenager, <laughs> like I'm a 16 year old <laughs> asshole. Uh, I had to clean my room. Okay. Our room is a mess. It's been a mess. I told you that a few weeks ago, my husband very kindly asked if I could deal with the product overflow in our bathroom. Yep. So actually today, I kind of set today as the day that I'm going to just clean our room. That's exciting. And when I say that I'm doing it, it is because the mess is mine. Okay. It's not that I'm assuming the role for both of us. Right. My husband has, you know, he's got like a little jar with some coins in it. <laughs> and... <laughs> Then me, I have like boxes and yeah. jewelry everywhere and empty bottles of things. And I just, you know, water bottles that need to be brought into the kitchen and washed. And it's a lot. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. And the clutter is really starting to stress me out. So it's um, going to feel so good when it's done. I'm excited. I'm kind of like ready to dig into it. That's so great. Yeah. So I will let you know how that goes. Great. I did take a picture of the clutter um, around my sink because it's so crazy. It's a lot. And I also haven't like unpacked my travel bag of toiletries from like four weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I have that kind of stuff to mm -hmm, do. Mm -hmm. So I'll keep you posted. Okay. I can't wait. Well, Dory, that brings us to the end. I didn't talk about my intention this week. Like I said, it brings us to the <laughs> end. <laughs> just kidding. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's quite all right. I was still thinking about how you hate masks and just. It, yeah, I get it. It's a lot it. to process. It is. I'm going to have to work on it in therapy. Okay. I apologize. Tell me, Dory. What do you have going on this week in Intention Town? Well, my husband goes back to work next week, and I've kind of decided that that is also going to be the end of my, like, the real end of my maternity leave. Like, I'm I'm off maternity leave pretty much. Like, I've been participating in our podcast and doing that work and stuff, but I also have a book to write. Oh, you do. And I need to I need to really focus and write it. Um, so I need to figure out, like, what is my weekly schedule going to be? Because, you know, Henry's real cute. And it's, like, real tempting to just, like, hang out with him on his play mat all day. But. Yeah, and that's hard. It's And you don't have an office job where you are required to be somewhere at exactly. 9 o'clock in the morning. So you, you can be like, mm, I want to sniff these baby toes like, oh, for a little bit. He's so snuggly. He is so cute. So. Got to fight that urge. Just get my Just snuggles in where I can. Yeah, schedule the snuggles. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hopefully I, I, I am, I do find that I am more productive when I know that I only have a limited amount of time. Totally. So I'm hoping that if I'm like, okay, on Tuesdays from 9 to 12, 
is when I work on my book, then I'll be able to like get a lot done. You're welcome. To I mean, join not me. just Tuesdays right, nine to right. twelve, but you know what I mean. Like, if I have kind of limited amounts of time during the week, then I'll be able to work. I've made Friday my like designated writing day. Okay, I do a lot of writing on Fridays. Maybe I will join, join you. me on join me on writing day. Yeah, I might do that. Yeah, we just cannot talk about the podcast. No, I. In fact. We should probably not even sit together. No, we should ignore each other. We should ignore each and other. And act like we don't know each other. But we can like eat lunch together. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, now on that note. Okay. We have come to the end. We have. We have a face mail. Wow. <laughs> we have a voicemail. <laughs> we have a face mail? <laughs> uh, you can send us your faces. Mail us pictures of your faces. I would love to see what you look like. Uh, and that email where you can mail us those pictures is forever35podcast at gmail.com. You can call us on our voicemail at 781-591-0390. And you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash forever35podcast. And the password there is serums. And at last count, I think we had close to 100 spinoff groups. Look. Shout out to the people who moderate the big group and the spinoffs because that yeah. is a lot of work. It is a lot. And we we couldn't – we literally could not do this without you. No. So, I can you. barely go on Facebook, much less moderate a group. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, if you like this here show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Mention us on social media. Oh, and I also just want to mention um, – I know we've mentioned this before, but we are on Spotify now. We have landed on Spotify. We have landed. Um, so if that is your listening app of choice, please subscribe to us there. Yes, please. And uh, you can always find all the products that we mention here on Forever 35 on our website, forever35podcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Forever35Podcast and on Twitter at Forever35Pod. And Forever35 is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrir, and Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And Lane Hammer is our assistant. Bye.